0: One random morning, I set a goal to speak with 1,000 inspiring Africans in 10 years because why not? But seriously, if you take out your phone right now, go on Google and search for a popular African, I can bet that all you would see is two paragraphs or maybe three on Wikipedia talking about very basic things and ending with and is happily married with two kids. I believe that Africans must tell their own stories. I believe that young Africans need models who look like them. So it's one interview at a time published every Sunday until we eat a thousand interviews. My name is Dio Moyo and this is the future. On this week's episode of the podcast, I spoke with Rita Idea, founder of EcoBata. Amongst other things, we spoke about her childhood, how she gained admission into the university to study geology. We spoke about how she started EcoBata and the whole recycling business in Nigeria, from value chain to collection to last step collection, etc. This is a beautiful interview, I can assure you. Let's get into it. It's great to have you on today's episode of the podcast. I'm really happy for you taking out time to speak with me. How are you today?
1: Thank you for having me, and I'm great. Tired, but great, and it's a new month, so yeah, I'm good.
0: Right, but tired Abuja. Everybody thinks Abuja is like a place, at least not like Lagos, but
1: Abuja is not like Lagos, honestly. So I was in Lagos Ultra last week, and when I came back, I was telling my husband that was driving me that see. I understand why people want to jump out of this country. Abuja is a whole other world. It is cleaner. It is thinner. It's not the same thing with Lagos at all. But, you know, again, I'm running a startup. So even the reality of that would, would drain anybody. But I can't imagine if I was doing this in Lagos, I would be way more tired, like tired race to power 100.
0: Right. Fair enough. But let's get started. Go way back. Talk to me about growing up. I was growing up for you. What kind of child were you? Let's talk about that.
1: So I was the model child. I love that question because I like to answer it. So I'm the child that my mom prays to have every time. So like, according to her, like every time she wanted to have like my younger sister, my younger brother, they were always praying, let this child look like Rita or act like Rita. So I didn't used to disturb them. In fact, for once, they forgot me in church because I was just easy to carry. I was playful with anybody. The other thing is because I was sucking my finger. So I did that up until like my primary school. So I didn't used to disturb them for food or for anything. And I could I could literally sleep on water. So it was easy. I grew up in the Loring Choir State. So it's a pretty quiet town, like very, very quiet place. And also where we grew up, like in the local community in the Loring, where I grew up was like really small, really quiet. And so it was like that. Then I had all of this community spirit growing up because you know the people I grew up with or let me say where I stayed with place was a place where my, my mom's kin, so people from like a village, a state, were there. So I had this community feel growing up, and that, that's how it is for me.
0: Right, but but the thing with someone who is like easygoing and, and the rest of that is that um, I think the better way to ask the question was, growing up, what was the dream like? Were you someone who had a lot of dream, or did, did you have a specific path you wanted to, to go yeah. through?
1: I I never had like a specific path, so to speak. So I don't know where I heard this saying from that I want to live the world better than I meant it. But that has been like my mantra since when I was in primary school. I didn't have one clear career path. You know, the way kids would say they wanted to be a doctor, they wanted to be a lawyer. No, I knew I was never going to work in a bank. I was never going to be a medical doctor. I was never going to be a lawyer for some reason again. I just knew I wasn't going to do those things. But what exactly I was going to do, I didn't know. One minute, it was architect. The other minute, it was, oh, I'll I'll be a pharmacist. I think there was even a time I wanted to be a pastor, so to speak. So (laughs) I wanted to be an engineer. So I think it's the engineer, like that engineer that I had on my mind for, for a longer time. So from, say, my secondary school up until, in my secondary school period, I was mostly focused on being an engineer and stuff like that But all in all, I just knew that I wanted to do something for people. I wanted to make people feel good. I wanted to to my community. Because again, as a child, I asked a lot of questions. That's the thing. So I'm I'm never the person that would just accept a norm. Like if I see where I grew up, we used to have this uneven, like gully erosion surface. I could ask one million and one questions because of that. If I go to a place and there's a stream, best believe I'm going to ask you how that water got there. If I see, so, you know, I've always been that child and I knew that I was going to do something, something, you know, around that environment, people, community area. I just didn't know what.
0: Right, but when you ask this kind of question, did you have someone who would always provide answers?
1: We didn't grow up in a house where parents would shield you. You know, you'd ask adults questions and then they would give you children or childlike answers. No, I think I got to know a couple of things really early and so that that also helped me in in shaping my reality and shaping whatever it is i was dreaming
0: right so now let's talk school so you got into secondary school i'm taking it for granted maybe a day school a boarding school but so and when it was time to go to science commercial arts you said that you began to think about doing something around engineering did that inform your decision to go to science class or it was something altogether different
1: 100%. So first is I went to a boarding school. I went to a girls-only federal government school, right? So in my school, we had this ABCD. I think ABCD. Later on, we had E and F, but it was mostly ABCD. And A was pure science. That's the way they told us as junior students. We didn't know like you know any different but it was like pure science for those that wanted to be medical doctors and stuff i knew i wasn't going to do that but b in my school then was for things they called i think applied science or engineering science or stuff like that so like right from my gss one i made sure that i was in my b class then i also didn't take courses like economics because i opted for agric and when i got to senior secondary where you were supposed to choose between economics and further maths i chose further maths so in my head it was Oh, I wanted to do the difficult things, which engineering was a part of. I wanted to do the things that women typically don't do. Again, engineering was like what came to mind. So when I was deciding, like it wasn't even a discussion, so to speak, when I was going to cross into ss one and I was going to decide whether science class or commercial, I wasn't even I didn't even think, you know, something I don't even think about twice. It was just a given that this is where I'm going to. So and that was it. I didn't have to stress too much.
0: I would like to for a moment touch on your experience in the federal college because I had a guest sometimes ago who spoke about the pros and cons of um, schooling. I think she went to the federal college in is it Abuja? I'm not very sure. But what was your experience Bali. like? Talk to me about that.
1: <laughs> so okay. I am lo- I'm hoping that my juniors do not hear this. So I was I was a bully. So to speak, in my second senior secondary, in my junior secondary, I was the one that they bullied. So from my GSS one, from the very first day I entered the school, I was a gentle girl. I always like kept to myself because I know that I'm gentle on the outside, but just don't come near me, right? So I always kept to myself. But guess what? They handed me over to some seniors I don't even remember their name, and in two days, all the Delta soap, expensive soap that my parents bought for me, all the white T-shirts that they rounded that they bought for me, everything disappeared. Wow. Let's start from there. Everything disappeared. Like, then, still in my as one, you'd have issues where you'd literally just be sleeping, and then some seniors would come and say, last junior. And that means everybody has to run. You literally have to run from anywhere you are in that hostel to go and queue. They would then pick the last people to so probably go and fetch water for them or do something. So for my junior secondary, I met, yeah, I made a, I made a couple of friends, like some of my best friends even to so now are from my school. So on the entire on like my mates kind of level, my classmates was good, but on the senior level, like relationship with seniors and stuff, it wasn't nice at all because you might be injured sometimes and then some seniors will still send you. In my GSS3, and I think, if, if they, you know, if you want to ask and say, when did I, where did I go rope? It was in my GSS3. Like that was, I don't even, I don't want to say the worst experience for me in school, Well, my hostel and my, and my room was directly opposite the central tap in the school and that means that every saturday and sunday you either pretend as if you are sleeping from morning to like 1 p.m when they close the tap or you leave that room as early as possible before the tap starts to run if not you would be carrying water for, for different seniors and so that was the experience like i almost missed a particular exam for my junior junior wife because i was trying to dodge fetching water for seniors it was just a bad experience so going into the senior secondary you know i was more or less transferring that aggression and saying stuff like no i could not have suffered when i was a junior and now that i'm a senior i will not do my own back so that was more like the experience for me but by the time i got to ss3 i think i'd calmed down then so i was just like it's fine like i think i had like better experiences but between justice three and and assess to come on, it was it was a wild experience for me at school. But I still think that going to that school, having all of these experiences shaped me to be the person that I am today, most especially like the independent in how you manage yourself in your thought process and stuff like that. So if I don't know about, I don't know how the schools are right now, but I would want my children, so to speak my children to, like, experience, experience what I experienced in school and be able to have a mind of their own and be independent like
0: that. So I'd like to ask, when you were answering a previous question, I've, I took um, a bit from your answer that you grew up in Ilorin, And then I think yeah. I was going through your LinkedIn profile, and one of the languages that you noted that you are fluent in is Yoruba. But your name does not sound Yoruba. So I just want to clear that out of my head. Talk to me about that.
1: Are you a Yoruba person?
0: Yes, I am.
1: Okay, so I'm not Yoruba. When I'm speaking, when a Yoruba person is asking me where I'm from, I don't like to say I'm Yoruba because it's usually like people are looking for people to come and join you. If it's somebody else that is asking me, I would say, oh yeah, I'm Yoruba. But for you, I'm not Yoruba. My dad is Edo. My mom is from the Yoruba speaking part of Kogi State. She's from Aitor where the Okum That's Dino's Dinos village actually. Then I grew up in Ilraine. So that's like that makes me more Yoruba. And I speak Yoruba actually. I don't speak my dad's language.
0: Right, but it just makes sense. I always love that story of um. Intertribal marriages. I think when I was young guy, I did a poetry, and it was like just delving into what an intertribal marriage would would look like, and and every of those things. But let's talk about um, the period between SS three and um, university. So when you got to SS three, and you needed to write jam and the rest of it. You wanted to do engineering or something around that. When it was time yeah. to take that decision, what decision did you take?
1: Okay, so, I knew I wanted to do engineering, and I was already in engineering class, right? But then, when they sent the you, I don't know the right pronunciation. When they sent it, right, I, I don't know. I think I went home, and then I spoke to my dad, and for him, the only thing was, you are from Niger Delta. You are from Edo State. There is oil in your, in your state. So federal government is giving free, I think you said you're going to give me a job in NAPC by studying petroleum engineering or something. That was what told me. And I was like, okay, who doesn't like money? Who doesn't want money? And that was why I picked petroleum engineering with my brother. The second thing was now to find like a second option. And you know, I always mentioned, aside from engineering, there was a time I thought about architecture because I loved it. And then I thought about pharmacy. So it was in between those two courses that you know I would pick as my second choice. But then for I think when I the courses that you have to write in jam for petroleum engineering it had to be I think physics, maths, English, and biology. Yeah. But for architecture you needed to write maybe geography or something, and then for pharmacy you needed to write another course. So pharmacy and architecture didn't go well with petroleum engineering. So the other course that I saw. On the document that went to petroleum engineering was geology. And that was truly, I know I loved geography, but I didn't know about geology. So that old jam white period was when I was when I learned about geology. And I picked it as my second choice. So the first choice was in UI, University of Bible. I didn't get in. And then the second choice was in OER Baker Law University. And that was where I eventually went to I studied geology.
0: Right, so what was the experience like studying geology? Did you find it really interesting? And I ask this question because I know people who go to the university to study a course and then when they get there, it did not meet their expectations. So, talk to me, what was the experience like?
1: Okay, so looking back, I think I'm I'm more, I'm happier actually that I studied geology because I I would have enjoyed it more than, I I think I did enjoy more than I would have enjoyed of engineering because remember that When I was growing up, I always asked questions about godly erosion surfaces, water, how this came to be, why that bed is flying, and this one is not flying, and they're all beds, stuff like that. So I think geology gave me a whole lot more answers that petroleum engineering would have given me, right? And even in geology, it could still have afforded me the opportunity to work in the oil industry if I wanted to follow that, right? But geology provided like a broader range of opportunities from the environmental space where I'm working now to even if I wanted to go to the oil and gas engineering proper you know that was way was definitely broader than what uh, petroleum engineering would have been and then I loved that so I went to geology in OAU. OAU itself is a tough school. Geology in OAU now makes it tougher. That's arguably one of the worst courses you could study in IFE. In, in the day that I went to pay for my school fees then some people that I knew there like some seniors that I met took me to one office like that i think center for center for energy development or in Ife. Two guys that i met there. the first person they asked me is what are you doing in geology why do you want geology and they were so sure that i was going to cross to maybe economics or some social science course geology was that important Ife. Or, or for me i took it like the way i normally take things just easy easy breezy like i can't i can't kill myself god knows i can't kill myself I always just found a model for things to work so i wasn't a, i wasn't too serious that's the first thing i was not a student that would go to class 24 7. i was not a student that would read 24 7 but i was a student that would always sought to understand my course not just read to pass understand my course and then understand my lecture so i give like a different approach to different courses there are some courses for example that the lecturer wants you to write word for word there are some that the lecturer prefers you to draw. Like, if possible, if you can draw, if possible, draw it. There are some that the lecturers want to see, like, your own understanding of what they are taught to you. So I I thought, like, I was really deliberate about understanding the course and then understanding the lecturers and just making sure that through it all, I don't burn out myself. So it was, it was smooth for me. It was really smooth for me. God knows. Like, it was smooth. But, yeah, I enjoyed the course. Looking back now, I enjoyed the course, and I'm grateful for, like, all of the different things that
0: geology exposed me to right so as you speak about the kind of students you were in school i'm taking it for granted that this this kind of character traits would be someone also who will be trying um answering different things whilst doing um the core education stuff in university am i correct am i wrong and if i'm correct what other things did you try your hands on in school
1: Uh, so for my hundred level, two hundred level, I didn't do much. Like I think it was just school, hundred percent. But like for my three hundred level, there was an actual strike that happened around that period, and I decided that. So I learned bead making and wire works from another colleague of mine, and that was like what set off my entrepreneurial journey. So from learning, I started to make beads for my three hundred level, and that was it. So I did bead making. Yeah, I think it was bead making and wire works that I did all
0: Right, so so now where the echo butter, where did it start from?
1: Okay, so in my final year, right, I took this course, environmental geophysics. It was it was one of the toughest courses I took, but it was one of the most inspiring courses I took. So that opened my mind to all of the issues around the environment in Nigeria and across the world. Then it also opened my eyes to see that being in the environmental sector is so critical because as an environmentalist, you could literally work in every other sector. That was like, as a generalist, like, you should already get that I am, right? So working in that environmental space was where I felt most comfortable. And I got really inspired on like, oh, solutions to this, solutions to that. And that was why I started to think about environment. But I didn't have like a, a very easy way to start to practice my, my love for the environment in the university. Outside of the university, I still didn't think. So outside of the university, I worked with a borehole drilling company for like a few months as an intern immediately after school. But I was still doing my wire works, so I started to learn about social entrepreneurship from that area, from like the ball company. Because my boss then used to make us do research on different random topics and just do presentations. And I decided to learn about the concept of social entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship as a whole. So I wanted to apply what I was learning to my own bid-making business. Because I had moved from Ife to Ibadan, where my grandma was and where I was doing my internship. And I had lost my customers in school. Then I was also making new customers in Ibadan. But I knew that I wasn't going to stay in Ibadan for too long. I was either going to go to Abuja or go to Lurin. So I wanted a platform that I could still connect with my customers. And that was where I started the business proper. So I launched my business then I launched, um, I think I was calling it really integrated. That was the name of the business I launched in Ibadan then. And shortly after, Ibadan, I think three, three months after I moved to Abuja. And so when I came to Abuja, there was this, this thing that we used to do in my house. That i had not even mentioned growing up. Right. If you should go to my house today, you will still see results, probably notebooks that I used when I was in my primary school. So we didn't used to throw things away in my house. That's like a given. You don't throw anything. Even if a slipper is bad, we had like sack that you would keep it. We don't throw things away in my house. So coming to Abuja, after a couple of months, I needed to change like my shoes and stuff. And there was no place to keep them. And that was when I started to research about like, is there a place to exchange things for value? Like we used to do in a lawyering up, but I didn't find any. And then somehow, somehow I came across the term recycling. So I'm going to hold that thought there. When I came to Abuja, I was still working on my bead making business. In fact, I had grown the idea, now not the business, the idea. I had grown the idea into something, uh, a platform for African crafts, you know. So I had contacted somebody that was making a bag somewhere in the Southwest. I had people that were making beads and stuff. I tried to register the business with somebody I met in Abuja and they took my only 10,000 era savings with them. So I could not register really the business. Right. I felt discouraged because I got the order to the first order, official order I got, and the, the merchant, the third party merchant that I contracted the bag to in I think I correct messed up the order. So it became really clear that uh no, I can't, you know, run this business. And then I had just found recycling, like on my research. So I started to think more about recycling and how can I do recycling. Is, is the core business operation within my power? Is this something I can control? And then the answer was yes. I saw a recycling company, I reached out to them, but they were not available. And they were literally like the only recycling company in Abuja then. So that means that, oh, there is recycling opportunity and there is no company that is exactly fulfilling the need. And that was how I started. And all of this was in 2017. So that was how Ecobacter started, really. We just started to recycle. Like, I just started to collect things from my neighbors and from my friends, and for a long time, those things were in my house. I didn't even know where to sell them. I didn't know anything. I just knew that I was collecting something. And I know that there are companies that will buy it with And that was how we started. We didn't even start with the name EcoBatter. So we were still using the name Ruri, Ruri Collections. But because now it's like a recycling business, I changed from Ruri Collections to Ruri Integrated. And we used that name even up until last year.
0: Right. Right. Now I've got like a background of how all this started. And it's really um, impressive and educative. Now... You have the idea of Echo butter. You started collecting all this, even when you don't know what to do with it. So when did the idea begin to make sense? Talk to me about how you now started to build the process and all.
1: After I had launched, not officially, i started and told people, I invested like another month, like three months later, I invested, was it 30k to make flyers? I still have that flyer, those flyers somewhere. I didn't end up using more than 100 out of those flyers. I made about 1,000 flyers, right? Because I had started, there was this competition that I saw about two weeks or three weeks after I had started to tell my friends, bring your waste to me, right? So I saw that competition. I applied for it. One way or the other, I got to pitch. That was really my first pitch, and I came second. So from pitching, I met a couple of people, and that was how I think I started to hear stuff like, oh, so they buy carton in this place oh, there is this dump where you can get plastic. And that was how I started to know more about the industry. Then also, some, some months later, there was like an industry event. So there was like a, yeah, I'll call it an industry event, actually. I tried to meet, so there was this group, Abuja Trash Eaters. So it's like a group of young people that clean up the environment. That was like, we're really active 2018, Not, not no longer active, but 2018 we're really active. So like I'd met young people, then I met another young recycler that started to share ideas with me about, so you can sell your plastic bottles to this company, you can sell your plastic, you can sell your paper to that company. And then that was how like I got a better idea of the value chain, right? And then I started to know the prices. For example, I could sell my plastic bottle for 14 naira per kilogram and I could do this. So, you know, it was just putting myself out there first and then just putting my hairs on the ground to get all of the information that I could get. Remember that I was collecting from my friend, so it was literally at no cost. The only cost was that I would probably drive to some places to go and pick. Then in my estate, there was the estate mall that I was already collecting from the shop, too. I didn't promise them much, so they were willing to just give me the, the um, cartons. Just, just that, I had to spend about three hours every Saturday to go and pick it up from them as kids. So it wasn't costing me so much in monetary value to test out my idea. But, you know, that was how I started
0: at this time were you still working or you were just working on, on this idea full time?
1: Oh, I was working. I didn't I didn't start to work on EcoBata full time until I got a grant to start the business. So um for my NYSC, I worked at a mineral exploration company in Abuja here. And luckily I was retained. But the job was flexible. It was never a nine to five. It was a field work where you know you go to field maybe sometimes one week, sometimes two weeks, you're back, right? And then because So I was doing some administrative work for my boss. I was reviewing reports and stuff like that. So I would still get to go to the office, but it was really, really, really flexible. And again, even there, I learned a lot more about business plan and business writing and stuff. So, yeah, all of this period when I was testing, I was still working. Even our office, like my office then was a place where I used to stock bottles because we used to take like a lot of bottled water and stuff like that. So I was still working.
0: Right now, talk to me about the process. Now it's been like say 2018 to 2022 oh, yes. four years, four years. Yeah, so the process has evolved since I've become clearer. What's the process like now? Talk to me about the chain from collecting the waste to the last um part of the chain. Oh, okay, so
1: right now things are clearer, like you said, the mission is to make sure that households do not generate waste. We would always generate, but like we want to get to the place where zero waste is left in your pain. Do you understand? So what we do now is to address that. We have two major things. We have the eco-shop where people can buy eco-friendly alternatives to avoid waste altogether. right? And then when they eventually generate waste, we have the recycling side of the business. So I'm going to just explain more about the recycling side. If you have your waste, the kind of if you have your waste, the kind of waste that we collect plastic, paper, can, cartons, right? Metals. If you have that, we have a platform, like we have a Google form right now. We're releasing an app in another two weeks, so to speak. So if you have your waste, you can go to our platform and request for pickup. You can do that either by the Google form, by via WhatsApp, via our Instagram, Android, or put a call directly to us. So when you request for pickup, right? we have our list we schedule all of the pickups so for us abuja is already divided into about six zones right so people from if you request a pickup from say um a popular place in abuja we'll say we'll say so we wait for people around who we'll say gariki we to request for pickup then one saturday so mostly the wait is about one week two weeks so we come to you on with our truck we have a collection truck that we come to you with we have a scale also so when we come to you, we weigh what you what you've gathered so far, record it, and then take it to us. We have a main yard where we keep all of this recyclables until there are a lot and we can sell, right? So on our at on our own side at the main yard, after gathering materials for say about one month, we then have people that sort these materials into different types. So there is the plastic bottles, there is the art plastic, there is the shrink. Shrink is a type of nylon. Then we have paper, we have cartons. You know just separate sort them that's the word we use sort them into different material types when you sort we build bailing is most is a mechanical process there is a billing machine but for us we mostly use like the hand like a manual thing just tie them properly arrange them properly load them on a truck and take them to the companies that then turn them into new things so that's like the process so we make money when we sell this waste to the companies that's how we make money
0: right but the household do you pay them per what they give you
1: yes so there is there is um we don't like to say that we pay like cash but yes we give incentive we give we give things in sort of um discounts so remember that we have an eco shop right so we give discounts to people that recycle with us so how we do this and how we monitor this is that when we collect for every one kg of waste that we get from you right we accord you one butter point Right, ordinarily, the battle points has like different values depending on the market, because one peculiar thing about recycling is that the market fluctuates a lot. So it's like, let me show it's, it's close to crypto markets. The market fluctuates a lot, right? So we accord a point, last year was mostly 10 Naira. This, this year now, the point has gone up on, up to 20 Naira. 20 so one battle point is 20 Naira. And then when you gather a lot of this, you get discounts from us. There is also the option to get cash. You have a number of people that opt to get cash directly. So we just, when you have more than 100 points, we transfer directly to the account when you request for, for, to redeem your points. But for most people too, they prefer the option of getting discounts on our EcoBata shop. And that's something that we are building on.
0: Okay, so now the EcoBatter shop, is it a platform or it should be incorporated into the app? How does it work?
1: right now right now it's like an it, we have the store but okay. we buy the products we buy the products and then we sell to people so it's like a retail shop but okay. on the hub so what we are trying to do now is to turn it into a marketplace so different merchants across nigeria and we want to do at least 60 percent women because we are we are particular about that so different merchants on the platform would be able to sell their product directly to people that are interested in sustainable living so the the app is going to be you know like a super app that does that provides products and services that enable sustainable living. That's what the app is going to look like. Right? So there is going to be the marketplace and then there is going to be the actually the recycling itself is also going to be like a recycling marketplace where you connect with different collectors on our in our network. So that's how it's going to look like. So yeah, that's what
0: Right, we're going but, to do. but I'm thinking why is it not why can't the people doing the final manufacturing just go direct and why can't you instead of going to the household go to the land dumps and get these materials what what's what's in it that i'm not seeing
1: so i'm going to start from the second question when the waste gets to the landfill it has already polluted the environment because it would probably have moved like even the cost of transporting it or the fume from transporting it one then two when it gets the landfill it is already contaminated with other waste materials right that's so so the the value of what they can the value reduces and the quality of what they can even get from it also reduces it would also mean a higher you know cost of operation for them because they have to wash extra hard they have to do a lot of those things then Four is that when it gets the landfill, there is no way the work of recovering this waste from the landfill can be a decent work. So those are like the reasons why the dump site is not an option. And it is important for us that the waste not even get to the dump before they are recycled. That's why we need people to sort their waste from their waste from their houses and you know why EpoBata is doing what we are doing with the doorstep collection. So the second question is why this company that turn um, that manufacture themselves cannot go and collect. So it's it's a thing of value chain development. It's just like saying, um, why is Coca-Cola not producing their own bottles, or why is the company that is producing biscuits not producing their own cartons for packaging? You have to concentrate your energy where it matters the most. Right. That's it. Logistics of collecting from doorstep—it's not easy. It's like a different business altogether. You know. So the same reason why e-commerce businesses don't always run logistics business at the start. When they grow and they can afford to have different teams, yes, they do that. But you know, it's just different business, different expertise that is required, and that's the different market, different expertise, different different everything, actually, that is required for collection and then for manufacturing. So that's why they outsource it. And when you collect, right, it is not economical to say you want to collect just plastic bottles or just paper. You won't even get the buying of a lot of households, because that means they probably have to be sorted. In a country like Nigeria that Sorting is not mandated. Who wants to sort into plastic here, paper there? That is easier to do than sort all your recyclables, paper, plastic, sort everything in one bin, and your trash in one bin. That's just two bins. They're telling them to sort in seven places. So right. those are some of the specifics behind while manufacturing companies are not running collection operations.
0: Right. Okay, I want to ask you two questions. I don't want to ask them separately. Number one, when you say you are a social enterprise, which I've seen probably on your wall, and I think you've mentioned it. Does it mean you're a for-profit or non-for-profit? And then the second question I'd like to ask is, when you sell to the manufacturing company, what is considered? How do you sell? Is there a bargaining or there's a fixed price? How does that go? So they are
1: mostly, I'm going to start from the last person, i mostly fixed prices. So while you can bargain with the people that you buy, okay. For households, we set our price for them. There is a market rate that some people try to maybe argue on prices, but we set our price for households. For the companies that we sell to, they also set their price, right? But in between, for example, if you're buying from other smaller collectors, like so, if you're buying from somebody that that collects within a particular estate or within a particular community, right? Those ones can then start to negotiate prices with you. So that happens, but mostly we set our price with households and the companies that we sell to have a fixed price that they also sell. So that's it. On the other side, what's the second question again?
0: Social enterprise is it? Okay,
1: for social enterprise. So social enterprise can either be for profit, non-profit, or hybrid. We are a hybrid social enterprise. But officially, like legally, we're registered as a for-profit, and we also have a non-profit angle. So, like we're also registered as a non-profit. Our for profit program is, you know, the collecting of the recyclables, the eco shop, and then selling the recyclables to companies. We make profits of that, so that's hundred percent for profit. We pay taxes on that. Then on the other side, we run cleanups. We run sensitization programs. Like last year, we were doing every month. This year, we, we did, we've not done any, so to speak, any cleanup this year. But we will start in April. Then on the other side, we also work with local community women. We train them on how to transform some of this waste into new products. So we have a community of IDD internally displaced women that we work with. They, they are in Abuja here. And some of the waste that we collect from households, especially the plastic bags, they are difficult to recycle. And only a few recycling companies in Nigeria collect these plastic bags, but we collect them. When we collect them, we give them to these women that we've trained to so then make, like, make them into fabric using local skills. So, skills like weaving, like knitting, they, they make it into those things and they sell. So, you know, get money to build back their lives. So, that is a non-profit endeavor. We don't make profit from that. So, that is like what all of those programs are directly under our non-profit um, initiative. So, EcoBata is an hybrid social enterprise. We have the for-profit angle and the non-profit angle.
0: Right, makes sense. It's great that you mentioned that because I saw some of those bugs on, on YouTube and I would have asked question about that. But talk to me about funding. We understand that in this part of the world, especially for some parts sectors in the um, economy, funding are not just available as it is, for example, in fintech and other um, tech enterprise. So how has funding be for you? And I know you mentioned that you won a grant. If you If you don't mind, can you talk to me about that?
1: Okay, so the first grant I won was the Tonya Lumelio Entrepreneurship Program. That was in 2017. And that was what we used in launching in 2018. So all of the grants went into renting, like leasing a land for two years, reading a temporary structure to, you know, collect our waste. And that was what we used it for. And thank God for that because it helped us start and also try some things out. But after, since 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, we got a couple of grants and actually we got at least one grant every year but what those grants were for is that they were mostly project specific so unlike the Tony Lumelu grants that meant that that was like oh go do your business go grow your business so you could use it to pay staff you could use it for product development you could use it to do do marketing that's the grant from Tony Lumelu for this other grant they were mostly project specific so you had to present oh this is what I want to do and it has like a non-profit for most of them. So there were grants from like embassies. And that was what we used in developing the non-profit angle of the business. So the training of the women, the construction of a workshop for the women. And that was what we used those grants for. But last year, so like 2021, late 2021, we got some other grants also for business on its own. And luckily, we've been able to use those grants now to develop our team and We are developing like a web and mobile app and all of that that is working. But I won't say fund, we've not gotten funding like fintechs We get $500,000 in 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 precede stage or 1 million in precede stage. We've not gotten that. We've not even gotten close to that. But we've gotten a few grants that has helped us to stay afloat and helped us to, you know, just run the business. And because the business is also. Something that is profitable, so you collect waste from people and you sell, you make your profit. That has also helped on its own. Make sure that we stay afloat.
0: Right. So, what's the team like? Are you? Do you have a co-founder, or 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 you just hired something, or someone, or outsourced the tech um, technology part of the of the company? Talk to me about it.
1: I outsourced the technology part of the company. Hopefully, we get like we get to build an in-house tech team. There are some things that we're expecting this year, so try would build our own in-house team, But right now, it's outsourced to a different company entirely. Then for the team, so we have an operations person, we have a business development manager that just came on board. Then we have people that manages our different orbs. So I think I didn't mention that. Aside, when people request pick-up rights, we go to them. But to make the whole recycling process faster, we are building and installing smaller orbs in different places, mostly places that people can easily access, like market. So when, while you request for pickup and you're waiting for us, I mentioned that it might take up to two weeks. People, can, people that don't want to wait can just put the waste, the recyclable waste in their car when they're going to the market and then drop it in the bin at the market. So we have like community orbs in different markets. We have in five places in Abuja now. So the team, we also have people that are manning those orbs. We have a logistics officer, we have a waste recovery manager and stuff. And we're also looking to employ people for our marketplace, the eco-shop. So the team is getting, like we're expanding, we're growing, and we can only prepare for, you know, more growth.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I think I, I get the picture, but before I talk about that picture in my head and know what you are thinking about, Um, I want to touch on um competition. So I know we cyclists and um, – I don't know, I know that climate change, our things around the environment and climate is beginning to blow up, not just in Nigeria, in the world over. So talk to me, do we have enough companies doing this or is it like a supply um, deficit um, space, so to say? And how are you able to probably position yourself in which you are different or what makes you different from other people doing the same thing currently?
1: Okay. So for the first question, I'm not sure we have enough companies, but then again, I don't think we have a shortage of companies because a lot of the companies that we have are not even doing up to 10% capacity, right? And that includes us. And that's why we are building our team to be able to improve our capacity. So yes, people like Recyclers and Recycle points have been there for a long time, but even they still do not do a lot of doorstep collection. They still leverage on last mile collectors. They still leverage on people that collect from dorms and stuff like that. So they don't do a lot of doorstep collection. So there's still a really huge gap when it comes to doorstep collection and getting people to recycle from their homes. Um, and aside from recyclers and recycle points, there are a lot of other companies in Lagos. There's Green E recycling in Lagos that they're doing. In Abuja, so there is us, there is Trashmonger. There are a number of companies that are doing recycling. But the difference is at, this, at what stage they are doing their recycling. And then that brings me to the question of how we are different. So aside from just recycling, if you've noticed, Ecobutter is positioning itself as a lifestyle brand. So we are not just a recycling brand. And that's why we are the only person, only recycling company that has the eco shop. Right? So that's one really significant difference for us. So it's not just recycling. It's all around sustainable living for us. And that's how we are positioning ourselves as a lifestyle brand. And... We're leveraging the power of community, the power of youth, because we are really young people, leveraging the power of youth, leveraging the power of community, and most importantly, leveraging technology more than most of these other recycling companies.
0: Yeah, because when I talked about the picture in my head, I was beginning to see the synergy between the shop and the collecting and how every of those things tie together. But let me ask you, where is the where do you think, because I don't think that. And correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not in the business, but I don't think that the greatest value would be selling the recycled or sorted material to the company. Because you you even talked about the fact that they are the one that sets the price. In this old game, where do you think if I'm right, where do you think the biggest value is that you would love to capture? Those are
1: actually two things. The biggest value is mostly in manufacturing because when you manufacture. You could go from a profit margin of – so a, a waste material that you collect at, say, 18 Naira per kg, you could use it to manufacture something that you would sell at 5,000 Naira. Right. Our bags, our bags, for example, the waste that would make one bag is maybe like one kg. That is like 100 Naira. The process would maybe be three days of weaving. If you pay labor, if you pay, say, even if you pay 2,000 Naira per day, that's 6,000 Naira plus 100 Naira. That's 6,100 you could literally make a bag that is worth 15,000 euros from that right? Nice. and all within one week. So the biggest what's it called, The biggest value when it comes to monetary value is going to be in the manufacturing stage. Right? That's a given. But for us, for some reason, and the reason being the mission for which EcoBata was created, we are a consumer-facing company, and that's why, again, a lifestyle brand. We are not facing the market, so to speak. We're facing households. And because we are a social enterprise, again, households like our most important people. We want people to reduce the waste they put into the environment. We want to make sure that our streets are kept clean, right? So solving the problem of collection, which is a big problem even for manufacturing company, is where we are going to be at. So I think in another three years, we would 100% be a market space that connects people to eco-friendly products and services. Any product, any service that just ensures that you don't generate waste into the environment. That's what we would connect you with. And I think that that's where we position ourselves. Right now, we are doing a lot of recycling because you cannot build a market-based model on, on a market that doesn't have infrastructure. Right. Right. So that's why we're investing a lot in building our recycling infrastructure. This is something, there are so many paths and so many ways to go, but in this moment, recycling and the ops that we have are things that we can literally hand over to loyal collectors, people that have worked with us to manage and then we just float the marketplace 100%. So they are on the marketplace as independent merchants, third party merchants and we get customers to come on the platform. You can either request for pickup or shop eco-friendly or do some eco-friendly process or something or even buy like your food with zero packaging. Just do different things. So we want to position ourselves, we want to be like a super hub that just makes it possible for Nigerians to live waste free. Basically
0: right makes sense now I think the last question I would like to ask you before I ask the fire round question I ask every guest that comes on on um, an episode of the podcast is to know how do you balance work especially at this stage of your, of your business and family is there a balance for you hmm.
1: there is no balance that's the truth unless you want to say 70-30 is a the balance there is no balance yeah. And it's tough, like you get consumed with work a lot. But I just tell myself that it is at this stage we won't continue like this for you know for eternity. Because at this stage you're wearing so many caps. Now I'm able to delegate some things because we have a number of people on the team now that can do those tasks. But there is still a lot of things that I need to do on my own, right? So and you need all of the hours that you can get. I can't do the oh oh don't bring work into your bedroom thing no work my bedroom is my office space Right So like you work a lot there is no balance yet I'm hoping I get there in another one year two years that where it's mostly 50-50 or there is a process But right now work trumps balance
0: Right it is what it is I hope that in the coming year you are able to find a process that works better for you Yeah now the I hope so. Yes, hopefully, hopefully. Now, fire round question, which is just three questions. Um, the first of the three questions would be that for you as an individual, and maybe for Echo Bata, where do you hope to see yourself and the company in say five to ten years? Hmm. So, I want
1: for me personally just easy breezy life i don't want to i want a comfortable life family and i want to be proud of like the work i've done so that's one thing for me for eco so i eco we want to be in the place where we are a leader in sustainable living so we are connecting millions now so now we're doing hundreds in five years we want to be connecting millions at least 20 percent of like our, so is this what, Um, serviceable market and all of those market size things. But we want to be a leader connecting people to eco-friendly solutions. So whether, again, recycling or eco-shop or swapping or repairs, we want to be that very huge marketplace that is connecting people to solutions and helping them get value from living sustainably. So that's where we want to be. But in five years, we want to have scaled outside of Nigeria, so cover the whole of Nigeria and at least three other sub-Saharan African countries? Because this waste problem is not just synonymous to Nigeria. It's a problem that we have across the world.
0: Right. The second of the three questions would be, so the goal for me as an individual is to speak with a thousand people, Africans doing interesting things in the next 10 years. And so I usually ask every guest that comes on, an episode of the podcast is there anyone um that you know who is doing something interesting that you think i should speak with that you can refer or introduce me to if you have someone like that who would that person be or who is that person and what does the person do Hmm. so the one person that came
1: to mind if you've said this is not somebody that even have a connection with i follow her on instagram i appreciate her work but i don't have direct contact i don't think so so one is ephedra Mieti. she runs economy a brand that connects women's opportunities for growth so economic opportunities investment opportunities career opportunities and she's doing amazing like amazingly well so there is her i think you should talk to her and um are the, What person is coming to mind? Does it have to be my space? No. Mm, Okay, so there is also what's his name? There is also Biodun Adereni. So he's the founder of Help Mom. Help Mom. They work on getting vaccination and helping like mothers in rural and low income communities track like the vaccination of their kids. They also give, like, clean beds, kits to just reduce maternal mortality. So there is, um, and it's doing really well, so I can connect you to him. I can do that. And then there is also Mayowa, oh, God. There is Um, so she runs Ashake Foundation, and they also help women, widows especially, to gain skills, and then they provide, like, loans for them to just build build their business enterprise so that they can then provide for their kids and also for themselves. So those three come to mind like straight
0: up. All right, thanks for that. And I would appreciate for the ones you can connect me with. I really appreciate that. No
1: problem.
0: Now, the last question is for those who are listening to us and they would like to connect with you on social media, probably just read from you and follow your, your story. What's your social media and do?
1: At with Idea across all social media. Thanks for listening to this
0: week's episode of the podcast. I would like to apologize for the little glitch in the audio. Until I come your way with another beautiful episode, my name is
1: Dayo Moyo. Have a lovely week ahead. Bye.